The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this evening comes from Matthew 27, 33 through 37, and 45 through 50. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they'd offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lemai, Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks for Good Friday that we get to look back at the cross and remember what you have done on our behalf, not because we deserved it, not because we were enough, but because of your love for us. Help us to remember the cross so that we can remember the resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for Good Friday. If we haven't met, my name is Cole Simpson, and I'm on staff here. So, yeah, I don't want to use the word excited. I think that kind of doesn't make sense for tonight, but uh, I'm glad to get to be with you guys tonight. So, like Tim talked about, tonight's going to feel a little bit different because Good Friday is a little bit different. Um, and so what I, what I want to do for us tonight is look back at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, and I want us to remember the pain, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual pain that Jesus endured so that tonight we can leave remembering that which makes the resurrection ever so much more sweet that he died for us so that he would raise three days later, that our sins were forgiven, not because of anything we could ever do, but because of what he did for us. And then on Sunday, we're going to get to dance and baptize people and remember people coming from death to life. But tonight, we're going to look at the last 24 hours of our Savior's life. And so we're going to start tonight with uh, Jesus on the Mount of Olives. So this is about 12 hours before the crucifixion. And just to help you understand the headspace that Jesus is in, um, about a few hours before this, Jesus for the first time introduces communion to his disciples. So for the first time ever, and we do this every week, but for the first time ever, he takes bread and breaks it, and he says, remember this, remember my body broken for you. And he takes wine and he drinks it and says, remember my blood shed for you. And his disciples are confused by this. They don't really understand what's going on. And so then after that, as Jesus is looking forward to what's about 
to happen, his disciples get into an argument about who's the greatest. Which one of us is the greatest? Who gets to sit at your right hand? Almost like children, they're totally unaware of what's going on, what Jesus is thinking about, the pressure that he is feeling. And so Jesus kind of shuts down that argument. And then Jesus has to have a conversation with Peter, who is his best friend, probably the closest out of the 12. And he tells Peter, you're actually going to deny me. And Peter argues with him and tells him, absolutely not. I would never deny you. And so that's kind of where Jesus is at when we get to the Mount of Olives. He's just tired, emotionally tired. And he's looking forward to the most horrendous thing that is ever going to happen in human history. And he's trying to get right. He's trying to sync up with God. And so Jesus gets to the Mount of Olives and he turns to his 12 and he says, listen, I know that you don't know what's about to happen. I know that you don't understand, but I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray on my behalf because I am tired and I am maybe even scared. And so he goes and he prays to his father. And in a very weird, very difficult to explain dialogue, Jesus asked the father, if there's any other way to do this, if there is any other way to do this, if we can please not go down this path, I don't, I don't want to go down it. And we, not because of in the moment God responded. We know how God responded because we know the story. But in the moment, God is silent. God says nothing to Jesus. And so then he gets up after he's been praying for probably what was hours, and he goes back to his disciples, and they've fallen asleep. And so he says, guys, I'm, I'm not trying to be difficult here, but I need you. I need you to pray for me. This is about to be hard. And he goes back, and he prays again, and he prays for us, and he prays for his disciples, and he prays for God to help him prepare for what it's about to happen. And then when he goes back to the disciples again, they've fallen asleep again. It's a rinse and repeat. And so then Jesus says to his disciples, well, the, the hour has come and a mob starts to approach him. A mob comes up to him. And the most important aspect of this mob is there a man, there's a man by the name of Judas who comes up to Jesus and gives him a kiss on the cheek. And Jesus says, Judas, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss. So why this is important is Judas, Judas is one of Jesus' twelve. So Judas has walked with Jesus for the last three years. Every day, he's seen Jesus perform miracles. He's seen him do amazing things. He's seen him bring people from death to life. He's heard him preach the Messiah. He's worshipped him. He said he's the Son of God. And what Judas just did was he sold his best friend to certain death for about a month's wages. And so when Jesus says, Judas, you betray the Son of a Man with a kiss, it is both incredibly difficult to understand in that moment, but also incredibly difficult to remember that Jesus the whole time knew that Judas was going to betray him. From the moment that he said to Judas, follow me, be one of my twelve disciples, he knows that this man will lead to his death. So then, after Judas betrays him, the other 11 scatter. They run away. They don't want to die like it seems like Jesus is 
about to. None of them, none of the 11 disciples actually stand with Jesus, even though they all argued with him hours earlier. And so then Jesus is taken to Pilate, and he hears while he's awaiting his court date, while he's awaiting his trial, he hears his best friend Peter deny him three times. And he doesn't just say, I wasn't his disciple. He says, I never knew the man. Three times. And then, as Jesus sits there in front of Pilate, and Pilate's asking him, this judge is asking him, are you guilty? He gives no response. And so finally, as an appeasement tactic, Pilate says, okay, why don't we let the crowd choose? And so they choose Jesus, the king of the Jews, or Barabbas, the known murderer, the known zealot. And Jesus hears the crowd yell, give us Barabbas. Let's kill Jesus. Not everyone in the crowd Jesus would have known, but most surely he would have known some of them. Most surely he would have preached to some of them. About a week earlier, Jesus is walking into Jerusalem and people crowd around him and say, you should be our king, you should be our Messiah, you are the chosen one. And most certainly this crowd has some of those same people who are now yelling, crucify him. This man deserves to die. So Jesus has been betrayed He's been slandered. He's been forgotten. He's been left for dead. And God is silent. God is nowhere to be found. But the suffering of the story doesn't stop here. This is just the emotional pain that Jesus is going to experience before the cross. So then we keep reading in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verses 27 through 32. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head, and they put a reed in his hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and they put on his clothes, and they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by the name. They compelled him to carry his cross. So with everything we just talked about, the emotional pain that Jesus experiences, physical pain is about to be added to that. Jesus is about to endure crucifixion. And when we talk about crucifixion, it would be wrong to assume that crucifixion was merely hanging on a cross. You see, the Persians had invented this torture technique, this idea of crucifixion, and it served two purposes. The two purposes, the first was to humiliate people, to put on display the enemies of the empire so everyone could see. So crucifixions were actually heavily attended events. People came to them and watched them and mocked them because these were the enemies of the empire. But then the second thing they were supposed to do is they were the perfect amount of torture to keep someone awake, to keep someone conscious. And so what I mean by that is the human body, the way it works is if you experience enough pain, you will go unconscious. It's a way to protect itself. And so what the Persians did, and then the Romans perfected, was they brought up this idea, or they came up with the idea of crucifixion, 
which basically played off the body of itself. So it would put you in extreme pain, but you had to change, you had to adapt in order to stay alive. So while you were hanging on a cross and starting to suffocate in your own blood, you had to push yourself up to breathe. And so your body would not let you fall asleep because if you fell asleep, it most certainly meant death. And so the crucifixion is the cross, but it is much more than the cross. So in this story, what they're saying is it's a battalion of soldiers. So a battalion of soldiers take Jesus from Pilate. And when they say a battalion, they're talking about 20 to 30 Roman soldiers. And so they take Jesus away from Pilate and they encircle him and they strip him naked and they beat him and spit on him until he is bloodied and bruised. And then what they're going to do is they're going to flog Jesus. And so when I say flog, what I mean is they're going to take Jesus and he's going to be naked and they're going to tie his hands together to a wooden post. They're going to tie him together so that the, the flesh on his back is pulled as tight as possible. And the reason that they're going to do this is because that will make it easier for the flesh to rip away from his skin. And so then what the Roman soldiers will do is they will, two of them will stand by him side by side and they will hit him with what is called a cat of nine tails. And a cat of nine tails is a, is a whip with nine different leather strips. And at the end of those strips are little metal balls. And throughout those strips are glass and animal bone that have been woven in to this whip. And what they'll do is they'll take turns hitting Jesus. In Jewish culture, you could never whip a man more than 40 times, but Romans had no uh, code. Their only goal was to keep you awake. They wanted to inflict as much pain as possible without letting you pass out. Uh, there's a I was reading about this and I came across a journal from the American Medical Association and it describes what the Roman soldiers would have done. As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victims back with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions and the sheep bones would cut into the skin. And the subcutaneous tissues of the victim, eventually the lacerations of the whip would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. And for most people, that would have been it. For most people, they would have done that, they would have taken him to the cross, they would have hung him, he would have died. But Jesus was special because he was king of the Jews. So then what happens is the Romans take him away from this post that he's tied to, and they put a scarlet robe on him. They put a scarlet robe on him, and they uh, put together this crown of thorns, and they press it on to Jesus' head, and to his temple buried down into his skin. And they take a reed, which is uh, just basically like a, a wooden uh, scepter, basically, and they hit Jesus with it, and they hit this crown farther down onto his head, and they give it to him, and they bow down, and they mock him. And they say, Jesus, King of the Jews, why don't you stop us? You're God. 
So why don't you do what you said you can do? You've already said that you can call a battalion of angels. So why don't you do what you say you can do? And then when they get tired of their sadistic game, they tear the robe from his skin, which most certainly, like a band-aid to a new cut, would have attached and dried into his body. So when they peeled it off him, those wounds on his back would have opened back up, and the pain that would have most likely dulled would have started again. And then they would have given him uh, the cross beam of the cross. So the cross was two metal beams. One stayed in Golgotha. The other was recycled. And all that means is that they used it over and over again. So this beam that he's being given is um, probably about 200 pounds, most certainly rugged with splinters and probably has dried blood and body fluids all over it, probably stenches of death. And so they tie it to Jesus' wrists and he would carry it, he would walk it for about a mile. Uh, The Bible tells us that he can't. He can't walk it the whole mile. He falls down multiple times. Um, which most certainly would not have been met with empathy or sympathy. They most certainly would not have been met with, are you okay? Do you need some water? They would have been met with mocking, with beating, with more whipping. Uh, I was reading about these scenes, and they said it was common for people from the crowd to come in, to come and hit, physically assault the people holding these beams, because these were the enemies of Rome. They wanted people to hate them. Finally, Jesus can't do it anymore, so they they give it to another man by the name of Simon who would carry it the rest of the way. So we keep reading in verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Uh, he doesn't drink it because it's a, it's a, it dulls the pain. And he doesn't want to dull the pain. He needs to fully experience the wrath that God has to pour out on him. So he doesn't take the pain medicine. And they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put charge against him, which read... This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So then the crucifixion took place. So the crucifixion would look like they would secure this beam that he had held to its cross point to make sure it could hold him. And uh, then they would lay Jesus on the cross, his body against the wood, his open wounds, and they would take two nails and they would hammer them right here in between the bones in his wrist to make sure that it could support his weight. Because the way that the cross was designed, these would actually be what most pressure was put put against for the whole time. So they nailed him by both wrists, and then they nailed both of his feet together through his heels with one nail. And they did that so that he couldn't support himself. He couldn't push up really well. And then... The horror of the cross would begin. 
So the way the cross was designed, like I said, you would hang from your arms. You couldn't support yourself with your feet. So eventually, because of the pressure that was put on your body, your shoulders and your elbows would dislocate. But the problem was you weren't getting enough oxygen. You were unable to breathe. Blood was literally filling up your lungs. And so every once in a while, you had to push yourself up to breathe. You had to. And so then what would happen is you would breathe and then immediately your body would cramp because you don't have the water, you don't have the oxygen to be able to support this long term. It would, the nails would push against your bones and your nerve endings. It would be incredibly painful. But then you could breathe, but you couldn't hold yourself up so you would fall. And over and over again, this pressure would be put on to your body because your body wouldn't let you suffocate. It wouldn't let you do it. Jesus continues this process for about six hours. For six hours, every two to three minutes, he has to push himself up for about eight seconds. So Jesus has been beaten. He's been nailed to these beams. He's experienced incredible physical pain. But the suffering does not stop there for him. So we keep reading in verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out to the, with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemai sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed to give him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah came to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The physical pain of the cross was extraordinary. The emotional pain of the cross was extraordinary, but they didn't actually, they weren't the most difficult part of the cross. The most difficult part of the cross was the spiritual pain that Jesus endured. See, Jesus is God. So there is some mystery surrounding the Trinity, so we can't understand this completely, but Jesus is both God, He is God, yet also one person. Him and God are in perfect union together, and they have been for all of eternity. For all of eternity, they have been in perfect sync. And for the first time in human history, God has forsaken Himself and His Son. And Jesus is experiencing the wrath of God being poured out, poured out on Him like a drink offering. But God is silent. Jesus can't talk to Him. He's never experienced this. He's never experienced silence from Himself. And so Jesus yells out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Jesus has been forsaken by the Father. He's enduring the wrath of our sin. And He asks God 
Where are you? What's going on? Why is this happening? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is us. The answer is you. The answer is me. God forsook Jesus so that He never had to forsake us. God sacrificed so that we would not have to pay the price. The only alternative to this is damnation for us. And Jesus knows that. Charles Spurgeon, who uh, many would call the prince of preachers, said it this way. Jesus was up on the cross, nailed, bleeding, dying, looking down on the people, betraying Him and forsaking Him and denying Him. And in the greatest act of love in human history, He stayed. Jesus could have gotten off the cross. It would have been easy. He's already said it. He's already said that angels are waiting at His command. All He has to do is give up on us. That's all it takes. He has to decide that we're not enough and then He can be done. He can be done with this terrible experience that He doesn't deserve. Like nothing. Just one word and it's over. All He has to give up is us. All He has to decide is that you and I, we're not worth it. We're not worth the sacrifice. But He stayed. He stayed on that God-forsaken cross. He stayed and He endured the wrath of God. He endured our sin. And that's where we're going to end tonight. Because that's what happened on Good Friday. On Good Friday, the Son of God, God Himself, died on a cross so that we didn't have to die. Um, we, we say this in Christian culture a lot, and it's a good thing. We say grace is a free gift. No, it's not. It's a free gift to you. It had a tremendous cost. It cost God His life. Uh, every week, we, we introduce or we talk about communion. And like I said, Jesus, at the beginning of this 24 hours, talked about communion with His disciples for the first time. For the first time, He introduces the bread and He says, this is for My body that will be broken for you. And he introduces the wine and he said, this is for my blood that will be spilt for you. And this is the thing. He's saying this to a group of people, one of which who will sell him to his death and the other 11 who will abandon him and deny him and leave him for dead. Jesus is not surprised by your sin. Just like he was not surprised by theirs. Jesus knew in every way, in every way, how all of us were broken and marred and did not deserve His grace. He did not die not knowing the whole story. He knew exactly how much it cost. It cost Him everything. And He stayed for you 
and for me. He stayed so that we can have a relationship with Him. He stayed so that we can take wine and bread and remember that we don't have to sacrifice because our God sacrificed in a way that we never could. Let's pray. Hey God, thank You that You are enough. That You paid the price even though we didn't deserve it. That while You were on that God-forsaken cross, while our sin held You there, while we and the crowd looked at You and forsook You and betrayed You, You chose to love us. Thank You that we get to know You, that we have been bought with a price and that we get to live in freedom, not because of who we are or because of what we've done, but because of who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you died so that we didn't have to. Just now pray. Amen.